I went to Gateway with him. And, uh, but he, we had a conversation going. He had posted something on Facebook, and then I responded via messages, and we got back and forth. And it's just amazing. Uh, they say iron sharpeneth iron, and I like talking about the Bible. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I like talking about what I'm reading and what I'm studying. And that's what we began to do. And it just got the wheels rolling in the back of my mind. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Now, uh, I, I think it'd be good, Brother uh, uh, Mike, if you'll put it in the King James Version first. K- keep it up there in the King James. I'm going to switch between the King James and the English Standard because I want to show you uh, something in there, and, and then we're going to kind of take off and run with it for a little bit. So in, in Joshua chapter 24, this is when at the end of Joshua, at the end of that, that book, they've they've conquered Canaan's land and and, and they're kind of just, if you will, putting a bow on everything that has happened. From the time that they left uh, the, the Egypt to the time that they finally got their, their uh, promise and their inheritance. And so I'm going to read it kind of fast because I, I want to get all of it. But I'm going to read it kind of fast, but I want you just to, just to see it. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Sheshem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads and for their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in the old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it, but Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses and also Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came into the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after you and your fathers with chariots and horsemen into the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them, and covered them up. And your eyes have seen what I've done in Egypt, and you dwelled in the wil- dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand that you might possess the land. And I destroyed them from among you. And then let me kind of skip quickly. You know, he talks about Balak, and he talks about Balaam, and, and, and how you went over Jordan, and you came into Jericho. You fought against Jericho. You fought against the Amorites, and the Prezerites, and the Canaanites. Uh, and then verse 12, I sent the hornet before you, which drave, drove them out before you, even the two kings, the Amorites, uh, but not with thy sword, or even with your bow. And then it says, I gave you a land which you did not labor, Cities which you built not to dwell in them, of vineyards and olive yards which you have planted, but not or, or which you planted not, do you eat? Now therefore serve the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Did you catch several different times talked about the other side of the flood? Now, in, in th- this is why I wanted to read it both in the King James and in the English Standard Version because if you were just to read that in, a, in just a, a quick read, 
Anytime someone says the flood, who do you think of? Noah. But in reality, this is not necessarily talking about Noah's flood. Uh, and, and so let me, let me read it and, and just hit those highlighted areas in the English Standard Version. Verse 2 of Joshua chapter 24. Uh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. And then it said, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. And they were used to uh, the rivers flooding. There would be a flooding season. We know every spring around this area, uh, the rivers will rise and and sometimes flood it out. I mean, all you got to do is talk to Brother Bob Hickey. He can tell you a lot about floods where he lives and how many times the water has surrounded his house and friends' houses. And so... They, they didn't have all the Corps of Engineers that we have now. So every spring or every rainy season, it would flood, and that river that might have been passable suddenly looked as if it was as big as the ocean. The other side of the Euphrates, the, from beyond the river. In verse 8, it says, I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of Jordan. In verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. If it be evil, verse 15, if it be evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What what Brother Dotto and I were discussing, and and he was kind of showing me, of course, I've heard it, and I've even preached a message about the other side of the river. But uh, when you begin to kind of study some of the the Hebrew or the Jewish uh, way that they talk and the way that they view their history. There's always a, a this side and a that side. In fact, when they crossed over the Jordan River uh, from, from wandering in the wilderness and Moses has died and Joshua is going to lead them across, when they cross over, if you remember, they, the, the, the priests, they carried the ark and when they stepped down in the Jordan River, God kind of put a hand up and all the water kept piling up above them and it allowed it to, to be dry land and they crossed over. When they got to the other side, Joshua said, now I need one man, I need one man from each of the tribes, gather a big stone and come over here on this side of the river, the, the promised land side, the Canaan land side. Come on this side of the river and we're going to pile those up and they're going to be a monument, a memorial to what God has done. And, and I think that, that there's, some, there's some truth in why they chose that side, or this side, rather than that side. Because the idea was, when your children pass by that memorial, and they ask, Dad, what do these stones mean? You tell them how God brought you from Egypt, through the wilderness, into the promised land. We don't set our memorials up on that side because on that side, why would you ever want to go back? I've preached a whole other message about those, those two tribes that for whatever reason, they decided to stay on the wilderness side of the Jordan River. They kind of liked everything that was there and they said, just give us this for our inheritance. And they, they, they got to stay in the wilderness side. But the, the idea was you don't need to go back to that side. What's on that side? Maybe one day a child or you know, a son was walking by and said, Daddy, I see this memorial, but is there a memorial on that side? And Dad would say, there's nothing on that side. And I, I believe I'm preaching to a congregation that, that 
you've walked over that river. You've allowed God to change your life. You've allowed salvation to come. It's that new creature in Christ Jesus. All things passed away. Behold, all things become new. And sometimes you just need to understand you need to be on this side of Calvary. And when someone says, what's over there? Just answer, say, nothing's over there. In fact, I find it very interesting because I noticed as I begin to read and not just Joshua chapter 24, I noticed that they never reminisce about what they had over there. The only good thing they ever said was when they were mad at God and they began to long for the leeks and the garlic and the, and the onions. You remember that statement when they were in the wilderness and they said, oh, we're going to starve to death. God doesn't love us. Let's go back to Egypt where we could eat all the garlic we wanted to eat. That's the only place that I find that they reminisced about the good of their past life. Instead, every time they look back, they were always saying something, and they would do it quite often, but they would say something like this, he brought me out of Egypt. He brought me through the promised land. He brought me over the Red Sea and over the Jordan River. They were quick to tell you about the conversion from that side to this side. And I believe that today, that ought to be the same. And, and, and when, when you begin to look back through your life, you realize where God's brought you from. I like those old songs, you know, he brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stay. And he put a song in my soul today, a song of praise, hallelujah. I'm glad to look back at some of those old songs that talk a little bit about victory, that I, I once was a sinner. It's the amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I don't reminisce about that side too much. I don't like that side. I don't like who I was on that side. I don't like what I did on that side. I don't like who I became. I don't like any of that. And so I would like to just move forward and say on that side, there's nothing. Nothing I desire, nothing I want, nothing that I want to go back to, nothing that I want to return to, I'm on this side. But I want to ask you a question because I guess I could preach a little bit longer on that, but most of us would probably say, you know what, I like this side of salvation. I like this side of of God's provision and the new creature in Christ Jesus. But I want to ask you this simple question Whose side are you on? How many of you played that old kid's game, Red Rover, Red Rover? Mm -hmm. That was a fun game. The object was to dislocate the other guy's, other team's shoulders, you know. You can't play it at school anymore because, it, you know, somebody's going to get hurt. So I think Zoe was the one that told me they can't even run on the playground anymore. They get yelled at, you know, they got to kind of speed walk around, you know. No cartwheels, can't do cartwheels anymore on the playground far cry from my playground days, where the game of choice was get one of them dodgeballs, not the real soft sissy dodgeballs, but the real dodgeballs, the ones that if you got hit in the face, it left kind of a waffly imprint, you know, right there, and the object was, and we had other names that are not nearly as appropriate, but kill the man with the ball, that's all we did, just whoever had the ball, go tackle him, and the teachers just sat back and let us tackle each other. We played Red Rover, line up, hold hands. Red Rover, Red Rover, send somebody over. And 
a person take off and the object was trying to break through that line. And man, you'd run and do everything you can and you had to hold on for all your life. And, and the rules were simple. Line up, link arms, and try to recruit people to your side. It really didn't matter what side you were on because you had to, you must, you will defend the side that you were on. And then, of course, the object of the game, if you had enough time at recess, was to be the longest line. And, and, and you know, you, you just kept holding strong, and they would have to join your line. Do you know there was a, this is for you, Brother Perryman, there was a momentous day happening today. Do you know that? The St. Louis Cardinals acquired all-star first baseman Paul Goldschmidt. You didn't think it was going to happen, but miracles, miracles can take place. They actually got a good player in a trade. But you know, I find it interesting when pro athletes get traded to another team. You'd think after after all of, of, of playing for one team, you'd think that if they got traded, they'd go to the other team and say, you know, I really didn't want to be traded. I kind of liked who I was with. And they would try to sabotage the team that they're on. But they don't. Because they find themselves, whatever team they're on, they're going to play their hearts out and win. Except the Patriots, because they cheated everything. So I'm going to ask you today, whose side are you on? Now, I want to take this past the understanding of if you're not saved, you're on this side. And if you're saved, you're on that side. I, I, want, to, I want to take it past that, that simple understanding. We sing songs like, friend of God, or what a friend we have in Jesus. But yet, far too often, that the, the, the opposite would be true. And if we were brutally honest with ourselves, we should probably sing more often, what an enemy we have in Jesus. Well, that's what Romans says. Romans 8, 5 says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For the carnal mind is enmity, and, and I know that, that this is a, a kind of a cheap translation, but you could almost say the carnal mind is an enemy against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither can it be, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. James begins to say it a little bit differently, and, and even and even in a, a harder thing, you adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Now, it wasn't always like this. This wasn't always the case. We weren't always at war with God. We weren't always our flesh trying to fight the holiness of God. But it was Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. After the fall of man and after the serpent and Satan had entered into humanity and, 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 and weaseled its way into, into Eve's life, and the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shall thou go, and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it will bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The translation, the understanding, there's going to be a hatred and a war between Satan and humanity and there would be a war between uh, all of humanity and Satan's followers and, 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 and there, there, it should have been that, that we would be the ones hating evil. 
but because of sin, the Lord said he had to drive them, drove out man from east or, or from the garden and placed him at the east of the garden. He had to drive out man. The damage was done. Sin had entered. Separation had begun. Look at the words used. Drive out. Man didn't want to leave, but God drove him out. There's a hatred there, if you will, because God hates sin. He abhors evil, rebellion, and sin. And unfortunately, in the big Red Rover game of life, Satan said, Red Rover, Red Rover, send humanity right over, and we went. 1 John 3.8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. Around 2012, I preached a message called, You Look Like Your Daddy. It's a fascinating study, what they call Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome was named after a robbery in Stockholm, Sweden, in which several bank employees were held hostage and from, from August 23rd to August 28th, 1973, five days. During that situation, they had been captured, if you will, by these bank robbers. But in those five days... They became emotionally attached to their captors. They rejected assistance from government officials at one point. They even defended them after they were released from their six-day, five-day or six-day ordeal. One criminologist coined the term Stockholm Syndrome. It's capture bonding, if you will. It's a psychological phenomenon in which hostages express empathy and have positive feelings towards their captors. When Satan, when sin held humanity captive somewhere in the midst of all of that, we had an affinity, we had an affection for them and humanity became integrated and slowly was connected and even grew as a family till we even got to the point where humanity could look at Satan and call him father. First John 3, 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. It's John 8, 30, where he said that Jesus answered, in, or 34, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And it goes on in verse 44 of John 8, You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your fathers you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, and there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. We begin to take on the traits of our father, the devil, on his personality. It's Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 when it talks about the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies, Indians, and murders, and drunkenness, revilings, and even more that he didn't even mention. Now, I'm not too fond of the message as a Bible translation. I think it tends to be a little shallow in what it says. And, but I got to looking at it, and it's not a, at all a perfect understanding of what that says, but just kind of look how the writers of the message talked about it. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your way all the time. 
It's repetitive and loveless and it's cheap sex and stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. It's frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. It's trinket gods and magic show religion and paranoid loneliness and cutthroat competition. It's all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. It's a brutal temper, temper and it's an impotence to be loved or be loved. It's divided homes and divided lives. It's small-minded and lopsided pursuits. It's the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival uncontrollable addictions and ugly parodies of community and I could go on and on take on the personalities of our father but again it's that trade again it's that red rover red rover if at at the garden humanity switched over to Satan's side why would you I I just I don't get it you know and you'd like to think that Adam and Eve would have messed up and They'd have walked out of that garden, been driven out of that garden and said, you know what, we really messed up. We better do whatever we can. But it's only one generation later when their sons are bashing each other's head in with rocks. Joshua said it best. If it seem evil to be, what we read earlier, Joshua 24, 15, if it be evil to serve unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the floods or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I ask you a question, whose side are you on? If you want to know whose side you're on, let's give you a rhetorical question that you could answer in the confines of your own mind. If you're more at home with Satan and more at odds with Jesus, you're on the wrong side. There's an interesting story that plays out in Luke chapter 23 and verse 11. It says that, and this is, this is around the, the, the trial of Jesus, and Herod with all of his men of war set him at naught, talking about Jesus, mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, sent him again to Pilate. And Luke chapter 23 and verse 12 says this. And that same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. It is a sad day, and I have seen it time and time again. And I'm not, again, let me go all the way back to kind of how I began. I'm not talking about saved and unsaved. It is a sad day when you can be so much at odds with Jesus that you'll be friends with just about anybody else. Pilate and Herod became friends simply because of their opposition to Christ. I'm sure in your life you might have seen people like that. Their only common ground is they're mad at God. The only common ground is they're they're, they, 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 they fight with God. So, so here's how you know what sides you're on. If you're more at home with Satan and more at odds with Jesus, you're on the wrong side. If you find sinning easy, you're on the wrong side. But if you find that living for God is easier, perhaps the better statement would be living for God is getting easier, you're on the right side. Whose side are you on? Is it that side or is it this side? Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10 tells us something about the sides. Whose side you're on dictates your future. 
Revelation 20 and 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are, and they shall be tormented day in and day out, or, or for day and night forever and ever. It goes on to say in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to his work. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Because whose side you own dictates your future. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 says, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, it goes on to say, how much more do you think it affect us? It's Jude chapter 6, the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he's reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. If you're on that side, the future's not that bright. John chapter 14, Jesus says, let me tell you about what happens if you're on my side. Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return again and receive you unto myself, that where I go, you may be also, and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. It's Paul at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4 when he said, The time of my departure is at hand, but I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And I know whose side I'm on because henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous God, shall give me, a righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And so, at some point, we've got to ask ourselves a question. At some point, we've got to get to the place where, first off, am I saved? Nicodemus said, how do I know I'm saved? What does it take? Jesus said, well, got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. So there is a moment that you can look back in your life and say, did I cross over? Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the promise that you're given. And it's at that moment that you would be able to say, I'm no longer on that side, I'm on this side. So in all of our lives, we have to at least start there. We gotta look and say, have I been born again of the water and of the Spirit? But I know my audience tonight. Normally on Wednesday nights, it's probably not near the amount of people that would say, you know what, I, I don't think I'm saved. Wednesday night tends to be a little bit different crowd. So I'm not asking you necessarily, have you ever been saved? I'm asking you, whose side are you on right now? Because that Red Rover, Red Rover, sometimes in life, we start switching sides. We start out good, and pretty soon the Bible uses the word backslide and we go back to the other side. And so tonight, you got to ask those questions. Is it, do 
Do I find it easier to live for God or harder to live for God? Do I find it easier to sin or easier to walk through that day and give God that praise and say, you know what, all's, all's good today? Do you find yourself falling to temptation often or do you find yourself resisting? The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee. That's how you kind of know what side you're on. But if you happen to find yourself on the wrong side, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15 reminds us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity and the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Ephesians 2.16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. It's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Whose side are you on? Why don't you stand today? I, I can't answer that question for anybody but myself. I can't answer that question and tell you whose side's your own or, 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 or how you're going to do it. You have to look and say, where am I at? How many times have I played Red Rover? How many times have I gone back and forth? How many times have I, I, I waffled back? But tonight I want to hope, or I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to know I'm on the right side. Not that side. He's brought me from a long way. There's testimonies in this building, and I love to hear them. That's the side I used to be on, but he saved me. I'm on this side, and I want to stay on this side. I wonder if you could just close your eyes for a moment. I wonder if you could just talk to the Lord. Just you. Nobody's listening. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's uh, uh, hearing what you have to say. You're the only one that can make that decision. Father, right now, I'm asking that you would allow.